are now beginning uh, Samuel. Uh, listen, I know that in our um, in our Bibles, the Samuel has two books, First and Second Samuel. But in, in the original, and the reality is, is it was really just one book, um, First and Second Samuel. So as we move through these. Uh, two, uh, what our Bible has is two books. We'll be referring to both books just as Samuel. Okay, I'm going to refer to them as Samuel some today, and we'll do that here on out. We hope our goal is to finish um, these two books, uh, to finish Samuel uh, by the end of December. Okay, is our goal, and we've got something new we want to work through next year. So, um, we're excited to be here. Um, so if you want to turn with me to the first book of Samuel, that would be great. The Bible is one story of a sovereign creator who created a perfect creation. Those who were created <coughs> rebelled against their creator. At this time, the sovereign creator set in motion a plan to redeem his creation back to himself. What we learn when we get to the New Testament is that Jesus is the Creator's plan to redeem His creation back to Himself. You see, if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we see rebellious, failed, broken people being saved time and time again by the Sovereign Creator. Sometimes it is for their shame to be covered with clothes. Sometimes it's a son to be given in the old age. Sometimes it was a boat to escape the judgment of God. A Passover lamb so that the firstborn didn't die. A rescue from slavery. A rescue from the sea. Walls that needed to fall. Giants that needed to die. You see, all of these that I've listed are types of salvation for those who are rebellious and have rebelled against God's, the God who created them. You see, when we get to the New Testament, we realize that all of these saviors, all of these salvations pointed to the ultimate Savior who is Jesus. But Jesus is not the clothes that covered Adam and Eve. He's better than that. He's not just the ark that saved Adam and his family. He's greater than the ark. He, he's not uh, the Passover lamb. He's better. He's not the one who freed the slaves. He's greater than the one who frees the he, He's not the deliverer of the sea. He's greater. He's better. He's not the giant killer. He's better. He's not just the temple. He's better. He's not just a charismatic judge that led Israel. He's better. He's not the, just the priest who mediates. He's better than those priests. He's not the, just the prophet speaking for God. He's better than the prophets. And then lastly, he's not just an earthly king. He is better than the earthly kings. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the sovereign creator. Not only, Samuel will do this. Samuel, Samuel will reveal to us 
that it is this part of the story of God bringing his people back to him that he will use kings as the mode of salvation. He will not only do that, not only is the sovereign creator the plan for redeeming this rebellious, failed, broken people, but do you realize that God is also the judge of them? In the book of Samuel, we will see this. We will see that God judges Eli, but raises Samuel up as salvation. God will judge Saul, but will raise David up as salvation. You see, God is not just our Savior. He's our judge. He both judges and saves. That's the God that we serve. There are four major characters in the book of Samuel. They are this. Hannah, Samuel, Saul, and David. Hannah gives birth to Samuel. Samuel anoints Saul as king. Saul's disobedient gives way to David. And David proceeds as a man after God's own heart. Where the four major characters of Samuel are Hannah, Samuel, Saul, and David. May we be clear as we move through this book. That the main character of Samuel is God. Okay? The main character of Samuel is God. Let's think about Samuel in comparison to our society. Our world prizes wealth and strength as victory, but Samuel reveals true wealth and strength is from God. Samuel's society looks a lot like ours today. We will read and learn about men abusing women, wives betrayed by their husbands, pastors' children going wild, corrupt religious leaders, conspiracy to murder, deceitful politicians, power struggles, and the horrors of war. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like our society. But just as... The society that Samuel lives in and looks like our society. But we also are similar to them in this. Is that they ran to the things of this world for salvation. And we do the same. We search for a Savior from this world to heal our brokenness. To bring hope to our hopelessness. To bring worth to our unworthiness and success to our failures. The problem is, is just like these in Samuel, it will only leave us broken, hopeless, unworthy, and a failure. It never happens. So as we begin 1 Samuel, we're going to look first today at Hannah. We're going to spend this morning looking at Hannah. She is the first major character of this book. Um, we will see five things about Hannah. We will see that Hannah is without hope, that Hannah has sorrow, that Hannah has, is in pain. We will see that her husband, Elkanah, will try to be her savior. And then we will see God encourage her heart. So let's begin. Let's, let's look at Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read the first 18 verses. Okay. Now there was a certain man of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. 
in verse 2. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts to Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to, Elkanah to uh, make an offering, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be a drunk? Your wine, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken unto now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Father, use this word to challenge our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look first at verse number 2. I want you to notice that uh, Penina has children, but Hannah had no children. Hannah was barren. The Lord had closed her womb. Uh, A woman who had no children in this time, Listen, I want you to know that it was dangerous during this time for her not to have any children. Matter of fact, during this, in this culture, during this time, for a woman not to have children, but for her to be barren, really equaled death to her. Okay? There are three reasons why a child was, bless, was a blessing or the danger of not having a child. I want you to look at these three reasons for me. I think I've got them bulleted pointed. If a woman had a child, 
It meant more labor in the field. If it had more labor in the field, it meant more harvest when time to come. If there was more harvest, there's more finances. There's a greater status in the community that you lived in with a child. With a child, you could uh, be guaranteed that when you are old and unable, and many times the husband would die before the wife, as is true today, your care for them, you, your child would care for you when, you when you are old. And then number three, look, it was the stability of the nation. If I have a child, I'm, I'm, I'm committing to my nation in such a way that they are going to be able to sustain as a nation economically and with a military. So the child was important in this time, in this era. It was a big deal for this to happen. Hannah, unable to have children, made her future hopeless. She was, she has no hope. Now, I want you to look at verse 7 with me. Then verse 7 says this. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. I want you to notice that Hannah was sorrowful. She had a rival. Her husband had another wife. Now listen, as we read this story, you know, it, it seems obvious in our culture and our time what Elkanah should have done if he'd have been any kind of man. He'd have had one wife and he'd have been loving her, right? But listen, we're talking about 2,500 years ago. We cannot speak our culture and what we would do into their culture. We've got to understand that 2,500 years ago, there was limited revelation of really who God was and what God was going to do. There was really the five books of the Bible, and this really was just commonplace. So we have to be careful about speaking our culture into theirs at this time. So Hannah has sorrow, and, and obviously she has sorrow. Why? Because she has a rival. It's the other wife of her husband. And the difference between her, uh, her and the other lady is the other lady is having children. She has sons. But if that's not enough, her rival reminds her of it regularly. Her rival never lets her live that down. Her rival is constantly reminding her that, in a sense, she is a failure. I thought about this this week. And you know, it doesn't matter whether you are in Hannah's culture or whether you're in our culture today. The reality is, is that culture will remind you on a daily basis when you're broken, when you're a failure, and when you're without hope. It will be in your face on a constant, in a constant kind of way, almost like a thorn in your side. Every culture is shouting to us 
you're broken. Something's not right. You have issues. You have problems. The rival was like that thorn in, in your side and in Hannah's side that could not be removed. I want us to look at verse 10 now. As we think about Hannah's pain. I want you to read verse 10 with me. It said that she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord. You see, when I, I think when we get to verse 10, I think it's gone beyond her hope for the future. I think it's gone beyond her, her issues with her rival. Okay, This bitterness and this anguish has brought pain to her relationship with a God who she knows able to open her womb. It's beyond hopelessness. It's beyond sorrowful. It's pain and bitterness that is rising up in her and wondering, God, have you left me? And, and look at verse 11. I want you to see verse 11. Then she made a vow and I want to and listen to what she said. Made a vow and said, "O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me. Do not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. I just wanted you to get that one part because we're going to look at this verse more in just a little bit. She's in bitterness. She's in pain because she believes that God has forgotten her. That God has forsaken her because of her barrenness. You see, the culture that she lives in says that she's not worthy. The culture that she lives in says that her God has forsaken her. And she's praying to Him in pain. God, will you not forget me see I imagine that the day that Hannah married Elkanah I imagine that she rejoiced that day she might have sang a song like David sung in Psalm 9-1-1 that said I was going to call the police I, I will praise you with my whole heart she might have been very excited that day. God, I'm going to praise you with all that's in my being. But I'm telling you that right now she's singing a song that David sung in Psalm 10, verse 1, when he said, Lord, where are you at? Why have you forgotten me? Why are you not here? Why are you not present in my life? Why are you standing afar off in my time of trouble? Why are you not showing up? See, because she could have no children, she was without hope. Because her rival had children, she was sorrowful. But because God seemed absent in her life, she was experiencing pain. God, I need you to show up. Hannah's without hope. Sorrowful and in pain, broken and a failure, she needs a Savior. She needs salvation. Right now, right now she thinks her hope, her joy, and her healing, 
her success would be found if she could just have a child. She's looking for a child to be her Savior. That will change everything if I could just have a child. Well, she's looking for a Savior. And then the fourth thing I want us to see is that her husband, Elkanah, He's trying to save her. He's trying to be her salvation. Will you you look in verse 5? But to Hannah he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And then will you look at verse 8? Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Elkanah says, man, I am doing everything possible to love you. I'm doing everything possible to bring hope to your hopelessness. I'm doing everything possible that I can in my life. But yet you're still sorrowful. You're still in pain. You're still struggling. I want you to think about this. I think Elkanah, I think his love was real. I think he did over and above to try his best to fill the emptiness that was in Hannah's life. But was unable. You see, in our lives, there are times when we feel unworthy, sorrowful, anger, like a failure, broken. And many times, what do we do? We run to the saviors of this world. We run to find them that they may fix us, save us, bring us satisfaction. Remember the woman at the well? You remember when Jesus talked to the woman at the well? You remember what he said to her? He said, I I go and tell your husband. And she said, I I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. You know what the woman in the well was? You know what that reveals? The woman in the well was trying to find a man... That would bring her worth. Trying to find a man that would bring her hope. Trying to find a man that would bring her success. He was trying to find a man to be her savior. And yet everyone left her empty and unsaved. You and I do the same thing guys. We do exactly the same thing. When we're feeling defeated, sorrowful, broken, we seek those things that will give us victory and joy and worth. We seek the saviors of the world. We seek power or pleasure. We seek some kind of a high, some kind of status, more money in the bank, more possessions and buildings to put them in. And the reality is, is all of these saviors that we run to, whatever that is for you, all of these saviors that we run to bring 
will gratify us. But they never satisfy us. They gratify us for a moment. They gratify us temporarily. I am sure that the woman at the well, every time she was with another man, she thought, this is it. This time, it'll move from being gratified to being satisfied. This time, it'll do it. If I could just get this, if I could just do this, if I could just become this, then I'll be satisfied, only to find out we were only gratified. And it lasted but a moment. The saviors of this world can never satisfy us like Jesus. I want you to see a quote that J.D. Greer said about this. He said, Elkanah's double portion couldn't steal the storms of Hannah's heart. This is true about all the saviors of the world. This is true about when we're running after things to bring worth to us, to bring joy, to bring the success. Elkanah's double portion couldn't steal the storms of Hannah's heart. I want us to look now at verse 9. God encourages in his heart. But let's read this verse 9. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost to the tabernacle of the Lord. Listen, this is, Elkanah has just said to her, I'm better to you than ten sons. Why won't you eat? Why won't you? Something at that table clicks in Hannah's mind. Something in her heart changes sitting at that table. She's been sorrowful. She's been sad. And when she gets done, she gets up and she goes to the temple. She goes to the tabernacle. And watch her heart be clean. But I want you to see how it's changed. Look in verse 11. We've already read part of this. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant. Listen to, what, listen to what she says. But will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Now I want you to think about what Hannah's just done. Something has changed in her heart. Something at, that, something at that table clicked with her. You say, it looks to me like she's bargaining just to get a son. No, it's not a bargain for a son. It's not a bargain. Do you realize what she's just done? Why is the son so important to her? Her status in the community? Her hope when she's old? 
for the well-being of the nation that she's a part of. Man, to stop the mouth of her rival. But do you realize what she's did when she's, when she's prayed? Do you realize what happened? Is that she gave up every right to that child. She said, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Do you know what that means? I'm going to take him back when he's weaned. You know what that means? That means he's not going to be working in her fields. I'm going to give him back when he's weaned. You know what that means? He's not going to be there when she's old. I'm going to give him back when he's weaned. What does that mean? That means that economically and militarily, he's going to be a priest for the nation. They're going to be caring for him. She's gave up every right. What has clicked in her mind? What has happened? This is what has happened. Sitting at that table having a conversation with Elkanah, she realized that her husband could not save her and neither could a child. And she went to the temple to the God who she knew could save her. She said, I don't need gratification. I need satisfaction. I don't need to be gratified for a moment. I need everlasting satisfaction. So I want you to look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Do you know what it's like? Listen to me. She's not pregnant yet. She don't know that she's going to become pregnant. Eli's told her, may the Lord bless you and grant your petition. We're going to learn some stuff about Eli. I don't know whether we can trust anything he says or not. He, he's... She's not pregnant yet. This is what has happened is the Lord has encouraged her heart. The Lord has made it known that she, he is a very present in the time of this trouble in her life. The Lord has begun to bring hope to her hopelessness and worth to her worthlessness and success to her failure. The Lord just has moved in and began to encourage her heart that her face was no longer sad. She didn't know whether she was going to have a, a child or not, but she had a peace and a trust in her heart that her Savior meant good for her and that she was going to be just fine. Because it's an everlasting satisfaction of hope and peace. That comes not from the saviors of this world. But from a savior. That's eternal. That is our sovereign creator. You've heard me say. Before that I think we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And this is why. Because I think on a if not daily, weekly, monthly, multiple times a day, we find ourselves feeling without hope, 
worthless, failures, and broken. And every day we find ourselves running to whatever we think can take away that feeling for that moment. And it always gratifies, but it never satisfies. May we learn to run as Hannah did to the Lord and let Him encourage our hearts.